Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. One of the first things that I'm trying to figure out when I am watching a movie is who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Because the worst thing when you're watching a movie is to not know who the Antichrist really is. I was recently watching Left Behind and everybody thought the Antichrist was one person and they missed out on who it was. We want to know when we are watching who should we be mad at? Who should we be happy with? Inquiring minds want to know who killed Jr. That's the general. For the, if you don't know who killed Jr., you are so young you don't even know that that was a, a national phenomenon. Like who killed Jr. was a thing. Maybe you know who killed Roger Rabbit. No, just we want to know who is the person we get to be mad at for the whole movie. And who's the person we get to let off the hook? This mentality that we have by putting a movie on trial, we actually put it, almost everybody in our life on trial constantly. Who's right? Who's wrong? Because this world is offering us a bit of confusion when it comes to who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad, who's a villain, and who's a hero. We have lost knowing who exactly to cheer for. And we come up with these heroes of our own making. They are flawed, they are broken, but yet they become the best opportunity or the best attempt we have at being righteous in picking someone who is right. I believe that the text that we're going to pick today is offering us a solution to the confusion about who's right and who's wrong to help us look at the movie of this life and figure out who is the villain, really, and who is the hero, really. Let's look at Romans 9, and you're going to read verses 14 to 18, and when you have it, say amen. Amen. That's all the saints that brought their Bibles. I brought mine because I knew I was going to ask you if you had your Bible. It's giant print. My my kids be laughing at me. Is that big print? Can you read that from there? (laughs) The sad thing is, I still need to pick my glasses up. I know, it's humbling. To humble myself. All right. All right, now, the the other service, uh, Roland didn't do too good reading this whole thing. We're going to read. We're going to read this better. All right. Ready? Read.
Here's the first problem. Verse 14 said, what should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? This is what humanity really wants to know. Is God himself uh, a person that we can count on to get justice or is he unjust? It's easy to look at the world and see all of the things that are going wrong, but at some point or another, we stop pointing at humans, we stop pointing at the devil, and we start pointing at God. Because if he is the God of all things and and all people, and he knows all things, why is there evil in the first place? And why is there something bad? And why don't we just call out the real villain in life is God himself? This is what we want to feel. This is what we want to know because no matter what's going wrong, he had to allow it in your life. No matter how much brokenness, he had to allow it. It must make him a villain. Is there injustice with God? Now, the scripture is not going to even give you a chance to meditate on that too long. The next verse says, no. If you're pointing the finger at God, you're pointing it at the wrong place. If you're pointing and you're saying that there's injustice or wickedness or evil in him, you're pointing at the wrong place. The Bible says, in him is light and no darkness at all. In him is life. In him is good. He is, God is good. And all the time, there's never a time he's not good. But when we have calamity go in our life, there's some place we've got to point to. So we already know that the world and these people in the Bible wanted to make him the villain. Why did they want him to make him the villain? Because they were looking at Israel and saying, how could people born in Israel, how could people born as God's people be persecuted or separated from him? And he begins to say, not everybody that says that Israel is Israel. He said, you think that Israel is a national birth, but I'm trying to tell you that Israel is people who accept the new birth. And then then he goes on to say in those verses, he says that I said the promise was going to be on Isaac. I said it was going to, and then Rebecca had had sons. He said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated before the children did anything good or evil. In other words, you like to point the finger at me for the choices that I get to make because I'm a sovereign God. I'm a sovereign God means I know more than you. I'm stronger than you. I figured out more than you. And what you need to know about me is that I'm good. And if I'm good, I can't be unjust. And so the finger can never be pointed at me. So maybe there's another thing. So I say, well, God's not the villain. Let's just not, you know, he did bring up Moses and Pharaoh. And that's who I know who the villain there. Who's the villain in that scenario? Moses and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, bad baby killer, slaver, resisting God, you know, cursing God. He was horrible. So I was like, Pharaoh, this is the, this, 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 this is the villain we need to focus on in this, in this book. But then I started thinking, what like Moses was innocent? Before I just jump on, on Pharaoh, who's like easy pickings, let me just check out Moses' life. Well, he was a murderer and a fugitive 
and slow to obey God. He had some family issues. He left his family. And then, then, then Moses got so mad at God, he slapped him. Now you saying that ain't in the book. Yes, it is. The Bible says he told Moses to speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock and he said Christ was the rock that followed him. So he smacked God. He don't smack God. Now I think smacking God is almost worse. So I can't just put Moses up there like he the hero. And I can't just leave Pharaoh the villain when Moses got some villainous type of activity in him too. So the real thing is, what is the text trying to help us understand? Did he say, I'll have mercy on who I will have mercy, I'll have compassion on who I will have compassion. That means he, it is of the mercy of the Lord that we're not consumed. The wages of sin is, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of then, then that means that if I am born in sin, shaping in iniquity, from the moment I get to this planet, I've got the virus to be an adversary and a villain toward God more than anything and anyone else. I'm looking at the movie of life, and I thought it was starring James Lowe, hero to his wife, his children, and the community at large. <laughs> He couldn't be the one. The virus in him. Maybe you're starring in your own movie. And as long as you're better than the villain, you could never be the villain. As long as they had one more sin than you, you could point it out. But I know I didn't do that. Those people. See, it didn't take much. When we were born in sin, we became adversaries of God. We became enemies of God. We became separated from God. We had no hope at all. And all the vileness that you see in the world is in you whether or not you've done it or not. The potential to be vile and evil and wretched and murderous and lying and lustful is the virus in me. It's the virus in you. God could not be unjust. When man chose to walk away from the just God. God is good. All his choices are good because he is good. All his choices are good. But here's the problem. 44%, I think this is from Barna, or I, did, I had two people, Barna and another person I cited from, I didn't write that down, so I apologize. 44% of believers say that Jesus has sinned. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's true. Your worldview of Jesus is based on your view of you. Because sin is in you, we assume that sin is in him. Because I have the potential to go off the rails, I say God's got the potential to go off the rails. Because I think I'm good and God say he's good, but sometimes I do bad, sometimes God does bad. There are more people, 56% of people believe in Satan while only 51% of people believe in God. That means we're shaped when we're looking at the movie of life to lean toward some evil alternative is just as good 
It's slight variations. It's justifications for sin everywhere. I'm living in a world now, I don't know about you, I'm living in a world now where the struggle to find people who say what is 100% right and what is 100% wrong is not clear. You have a war going on and there's definitely someone who's right and someone who's wrong, but if you listen long enough, nobody is right, nobody is wrong according to, to the world. Nobody's willing to say it's wrong on all sides and it's right on all sides because we'd like the movie to play out in a way that's neat for us. Moses has sent in him. Pharaoh has sent in him. And the only person who was sinless, who knew no sin, who did no sin, was Christ. In fact, in the scripture, he says, show me where I have sinned. Show me uh, what I have done. So therefore, if God is good, then his sovereignty is good. His decision-making is good. Why he does what he does, when he does it, how he does it is good. All of the choices he makes are good. He said, the reason I make choices is so that you don't think that your choices, who you are, your choices of human will, or your works produce the blessing in your life. He says, I chose. I fought hard in Pharaoh's heart. Well, there it is. I know he wicked. He done made that man's heart hard. Well, if you read Exodus 33, the first thing the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then it said God hardened his heart. What is it? I want you to know that the sovereignty of God produces in it the will of God. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and 13, it says, God works in us the will and to do of his good pleasure. 1 Peter 2 and 15 says, for it is God who wills that by doing good, we should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. He prays in the Lord's prayer, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. The real villain is all of humanity. It is not good, God. He is good, Mark 10, 18, and Jesus said to him, he was talking to the, uh, uh, the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? There's none good except God. What he's saying, because I'm God, I'm good. It was just a play on words. Psalm 107, one says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. In other words, you're so good, I need you to teach me how to think about you so I don't start categorizing you as bad when you're good. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Everybody has an opportunity for this mercy. But as good as God is, and as sinful as humanity is, man's disposition, according to statisticians, is 81% of people think that humankind is inherently good. 
and you don't like this. Love burner. 46% of people admit in their eyes that they're better than everyone else they know. I might be bad, but I'm better than you. Might be going wrong, but you know, that's you. See, when you don't think that you have a virus, when you don't think that you're, you're wrong, you can open up the opportunity or the possibility that there's another villain besides you. Either it's Pharaoh because he's worse than you, it's Moses because he's worse than you, or it's God because he created all those people, but it couldn't be you. Who is the villain? All humankind. Verse 19. Here's how I know that we're thinking like this. Read, read verse 19. Ready? Read. Then God, okay, want to play your game, God? You saying it's your choice, it's your sovereignty? Then if you made me jacked up, why are you mad at me? If you made me lustful, why are you mad when I lust? If you made me corrupt, why are you mad at me? I'm only doing what I'm supposed to do because you created me with these propensities to sin. It's not my fault, it's what we want to say. This is why we can see a person in a movie killing somebody else and because something tragic happened in their life, we justify the action that proceeds. Because we like to find fault with the creator. How do I know? This is, this is not a new spirit. In the Genesis, once God created everything good and gave them everything good. He said it's good, created the woman. He said it's very good, gave them a, a, a good woman. They sinned, and the first thing when God asked Adam, what happened, man? Talk to me. Because I set it all up for you real nice and smooth. This is all messed up now. Our relationship is just messed up. Just tell me what happened. He said, well, I'm going to tell you. Do you want to know? He said, I want to know. It was the woman that you, God, formed from the dust, presented to me and gave me. She, I, I, it was her. Don't find fault with me. I couldn't be that bad. I know I didn't cover her. I know I didn't lead her. I know you gave me the command that I forgot to tell her fully. I know that when she ate the fruit, I took some of the fruit too and ate it. But it couldn't be me that was the problem problem is the woman you gave me, and I don't even want to put it all on her. God, you probably shouldn't have started out even doing it that way. A little villainistic. You got some, some issues. And I didn't want to be the first person in your creation to point it out, but I, I have to since you, you're saying let's talk straight. Why are you finding fault with me, Adam is saying? You created the whole scenario. This is what man digresses to. And now he, and look, he, he right back to what we want to do with Pharaoh and Moses. He ain't dealing with me. You know, she kind of fer, Pharaohette. And there it is. 
you find fault. But then he's already told you in the first part, he's not unjust. In the next part, even though he's already declared that God is not unjust, why is the argument still coming up? Because even when we know he's good and all the decisions he makes is good, we still want to say, but you know, really, let's get down to it. So now God's going to profoundly answer. And he says in 19, if you, he, said, he said, why are you still find, find fault? But verse, verse 20. But, you, but who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? So God is saying, wait a minute. Y'all done, you done, you're taking this too far. You think because I'm giving you the opportunity to even speak to me that you could just speak to me any kind of way. You taking the conversation way beyond where you should. You're getting out of your place. You're making it as if you weren't born in sin. You're making it as if that your ways are like my ways instead of as far as the east is from the west. You're, 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 you're making it as if you are a savior instead of somebody that needs to be saved. You're talking to me as if we're on the same level and you need to watch your step. So let me explain something about who I am. Will the molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Why are you complaining? You, 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 you were born too short. You were born too dark. You were born too light. You were born too rich. You were born too poor. You were born with this impediment. Born with that. I got a problem is what they're trying to say. He said, well, no, you're not going to tell me there's a problem. I knew the nose I gave you. I know the body type I gave you. He's not confused. Society might be confused. They might tell you that you need to readjust some things. But God said, I know exactly how I made you. Watch what he says. Has not the potter power over the clay to make one and the same lump a vessel to honorable use and another to dishonorable use? And it is not that God made you or created you a sinner. It's that God utilized your choices for his glory. That's good. That's good. Let's, oh, you going to help? Pastor Philip, will you help me? Let's turn to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'm going to let Pastor Philip read. I'm going to give you all a break. <laughs> read Jeremiah 18, starting at the first verse. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he re- Go and learn this lesson. When you go down to the potter's house, a natural person that's making pottery, he's sitting there at the wheel... And he noticed what, Pastor Philip? The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Something about the vessel that was in his hand spoiled. He didn't spoil it. And this is what sin does. And it was our choice to sin. And the potter begins to see that and say, we got to rework. We got to do something with this. We want to work this thing out. But it wasn't him putting it in, it was him discovering it. That's why you're back on the potter's wheel. 
That's why you're still being shaped. That's why you're still being molded. That's why you're still trying to purge out the villain in you and me. Read. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed. I got to get you into something else. Read. He reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one of you from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. He has the right to make these choices. And all his choices are good. But you and I have rights to make choices. He says, return. He said, if I plotted something evil to deal with sin, because what is right is that sin be judged. What is right is that sin has no place with him. What is right that his righteousness should be satisfied with eternal judgment. But he says, if I plan good for you and you start doing sin, he said, I'll reconsider the good. If I plan bad for you and you turn from the bad, he said, I'll turn and give you good. So this God can never be the villain who is looking at you and giving you and our love and you and our compassion and you and our mercy so that you would turn from wickedness and turn into righteousness so you can get on the winning side instead of on the judgmental side. He's not trying to break you. He's trying to make you into his image. And here's the real reality. He didn't create you to damn you. But if, if, you, if you're in a sin condition, he'll leave you in that condition if you choose to be. I love this about God that he's not willing to leave me, James Lowe, in the villain's position. He's saying, don't you want to get out of that? Don't you want to come from the zero position to the hero position? But it is a choice I must make. All his choices are good because he is good. He has made the, he has made the right, he has the right to make these choices. Let's conclude with verse 22 through 24. Read 22, ready, read. What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. God is not a trying to 
give evil a platform, but he's allowing evil so that you can know that he's powerful to destroy it, that you would lean into his name, that you would know that you are loved, that instead of destroying you, like everything that rejects him should be, he loves you. The Bible says in verse 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory to the vessel of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand. God is not trying to convince you or God is not trying to really give you an overwhelming display or apologetic that he is not a villain. He's just not. He's showing you what happens to villains. He's showing you the judgment that remains on their life. I love how 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. He's not willing to live you in the, leave you in the villain position. The Bible says in Psalm 7 and 11, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. This is not something he's changing because he loves you doesn't mean that he's not angry uh, with the wicked. Ezekiel 18 and 32 says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Ezekiel 33 11, uh, say to them as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? First Timothy 2 and 4 says, he desires all people, not some people, all people to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth, even the vessels to dishonor. First Timothy 2 and 6, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony he, he, he is given at the proper time. Titus 2 and 11, and the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. Romans, excuse me, uh, James 2 and 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. What is the summation of all of these things? He is good and all the decisions he makes are good. He makes right choices, but why does he do them? He does it for you. When he exercises judgment over the wicked, it's so that you can know how much you're loved. There's a day coming in the book of Revelations when the angels will see all of those plagues and all of those uh, bowls poured out on the earth for judgment. And there will be billions of people who are dying and in tormented. These people have rejected Christ and, the, and they are experiencing the tribulation and they're experiencing the judgment of God. And what he does with those people is righteous. Because when you reject him, that happens. If I reject Jesus Christ, I will spend eternity separated from Christ. There's no way. That doesn't mean that he had an evil plan for me because he wanted me to be saved. He is not a zero. He's a hero. He's not a villain. He's not trying to hurt me. He's trying to get me to see how bad I am, how good he is, and turn. He wants me to turn and repent. And here's the challenge. We're so used to watching that movie and making judgments about who is the villain, who is the, the hero, 
And sometimes even when the movie tells you who the hero is, you don't agree. You agree with the villain. We're so used to allowing our brains to look at the narratives in our life. They're wrong and I'm right. And if we're both right, then God is wrong. And that is the spirit of accusation and it is a demonic spirit. The demonic spirit accuses brothers and it accuses God. That's why you don't let the spirit of accusation have a voice in your life. Those people, they did. You don't, you don't do that. You turn. He loves you. He loves me. He is good all the time. The first thing you need to do to function in this world better to have a more quality life, you need to declare him good, completely good. There's no guile in him. When he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity, test tablets, our peace was upon him by his structure, and he opened not his love. He was counted as a lamb to the slaughter and the sheep before shears was done. He opened not his mouth. Even when he had the right to vilify us, he did not do it because he loved us. Let's not make him the villain. Let's ask him to kill the villain in us. Let's ask him to kill the flesh in us. Kill the love for the world that's in us. Kill demonic partnership that's in us. Because that's what's really keeping us from God. Stand to your feet. Ministry team, could you come down?